You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. So tonight we're going to talk about being saturated by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to tell you up front that I have not taught this message in about 10 years, but it lives in me. And I believe tonight we're going to receive something new from the Spirit of God. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this opportunity. We thank you for the living word of God. And Holy Spirit, tonight we ask you to take this word that you would open it to us. You're the one who authored this book. You're really the only one authorized to teach it. And tonight we ask you to open the scriptures to us, take us into the scriptures, help us to see what we could never see by ourselves that we would have a revelation. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, and tonight we're going to be looking at verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And tonight you need a piece of paper, you need something to write with, you're going to want to take notes tonight. So when you come to Romans 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul is writing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, that's what the King James Version says. The Greek uses the word autos. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a him. A better translation would be the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But tonight I want you to take your pen and underline and circle several things in verse 26. First of all, either underline or circle the word helpeth. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth. Underline or circle that word helpeth. Then if you would, underline or circle the word infirmities. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what. Then if I would, I, if I were you, I would circle or underline that word what. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Then if you would underline the word ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession. Then if you would, underline maketh intercession. With groanings which cannot be uttered. Then either underline or circle this word groanings. So all these words that we've underlined or circled, we're going to be dealing with tonight one by one. And let's begin at the very first of verse 26. Where Paul writes, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Let's begin with the word infirmities, because if you understand the word infirmities, then you also understand why we need help. This word infirmities in Greek is the word asthenios, and this is very important. This word infirmities, the Greek word asthenios, is what I would call a generic word that embraces all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. It embraces all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. It is a generic word for all kinds of infirmities or sicknesses. For example, the word sick. If a person has cancer, you can say they are sick. But if a person has a headache, you can also say they are sick. That word sick is a generic word which embraces all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. Well, when you come to this verse, the word infirmities that is used in this verse, the Greek word asthenios, is a word like the word sick. It embraces all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. But when you come to the four Gospels, you find that in the four Gospels there were five primary categories of sickness which Jesus healed, and I'm going to go through all five of these. All five of these, which I'm about to give you, fit right inside this word infirmities, just as if I were to put a glove on my hand, all five of my fingers would fit right up inside that glove. All five of these words, which I'm about to give you, fit inside this word infirmities in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. And all five of these categories, which I'm about to give you, were healed by Jesus, and they are still being healed by Jesus today. And the way that I found these words was many years ago when Denise and I began our traveling ministry, and we were regularly laying hands on the sick, I wanted to understand better how to lay hands on the sick and how to heal the sick. And so I began to study the words for healing in the New Testament. That's when I discovered the difference between the word eaomai, which is the word to cure, the word therapeo, which means to heal with a kind of a therapy, all these marvelous Greek words. And I discovered that Jesus healed primarily five categories 
of sickness, and again, all of them fit right inside this word, infirmities. And the first category of sickness which Jesus healed, you find this regularly in the Gospels, is the Greek word nosos. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's spelled N-O-S-O-S. The word nosos describes a terminal condition, a terminal condition for which there is no natural cure. If someone has this category of sickness, they will die unless they receive some kind of divine intervention. Cancer would be nosos. AIDS would be nosos. It is a terminal condition for which there is no natural cure. And in the Gospels, this is translated as the word disease. A person that has nosos is a diseased person. He has a terminal condition for which there is no natural cure. Jesus healed that category of sickness, and Jesus is still healing that category of sickness today. Then you come to the second category of sickness which Jesus healed, and this is the Greek word malakion. If you're taking notes, you spell it M-A-L-A-K-I-A-N, the word malakion. Interesting that in the Gospels, it also is translated as the word disease, but it's very different from the first word. The first word was nosos, a terminal condition for which there's no natural cure. The second word is malakion. It sounds nothing like the first word, and it is not like the first word. The first word is a terminal condition. The second word, malakion, describes an illness that affects your bones, your muscles, or your nerves so that you become crippled. You cannot function normally because you have malachion. You have some kind of an affliction that is affecting your ability to normally function. You can live with this, but you cannot normally function with this. You become a cripple or you become an invalid. That is the second category of sickness which Jesus healed. Then you come to the third category of sickness which Jesus healed. And this is the Greek word kakos, K-A-K-O-S. In the four Gospels, it is specifically used to describe people that were grievously vexed with demon spirits. The word kakos, translated grievously vexed, describes one that is mentally confused, mentally confused, or one that is mentally vexed. Jesus healed that category of sickness. Then you come to the fourth category of sickness, which Jesus healed. This is the Greek word mastigos, and for me, this is the most interesting of them all. The word mastigos is the Greek word for a plague, a plague. Many people think that AIDS is a plague, but AIDS is not a plague. AIDS is a terminal condition for which there is no natural cure. It is a nosos. It fits in category number one. A plague, the Greek word mastigos, is the very word which is used in Mark chapter 5, to describe the woman with the, anybody remember? The issue of blood. And when she touched Jesus, virtue flowed into her, and the Bible says she was healed of that plague. But when you read this in Greek, it says she was healed of her mastigas. What is a plague? Well, to understand what a plague is, you have to go back to the beginning where the word mastigas comes from. And the word mastigas translated plague was a Greek word which described an act of torture an act of torture. And here's what the Romans would do. They would take a victim, would strip him naked, would tie him over a post, they would come in with a flog and would begin to flog his body and would beat him and beat him and beat him, bring him right to the point of death, and just before he died, they would stop. Send him back to his prison, wait for him to get well, for all of his wounds to mend. And as soon as he began to feel better again, they would bring him back to the beating post and they would do it again, beating and beating and striking and striking. Then send him back to his cell for him to mend. And when he began to mend, then they would bring him back and they would strike him and strike him and strike him again, viciously striking again and again and again. And in Greek, that is called mastigas. And that is where we get the word for a plague. Well, what does that mean? A plague is any kind of sickness that repetitiously strikes you and strikes you and strikes you. You may feel that you've finally gotten over it. You may have even given a testimony that you're well, and then bam, here it comes again. It beats you again. It strikes you again. You put medication on it. It seems like you get relief. You feel like it's over, and bam, it strikes you again. 
and it strikes you again, a plague is any kind of a sickness that repetitiously strikes you, and that is why the woman with the issue of blood had a plague. The Bible says she had had it for how many years? 12 years. It did not kill her. It just kept her life constantly torn up. What would a plague be? A plague would be high blood pressure. Strikes you again and again. A plague would be allergies. Something that strikes you again and again. A plague could be something as simple as a foot fungus between your toes. You think it's gone. And then bam, it comes back again. It strikes you again. That is what a plague is. It's any kind of sickness that comes back to repetitiously strike and strike and strike. But Jesus healed that category of sickness. And Jesus is still healing it today. Then you come to the last category of sickness, which Jesus healed. And I believe this one will totally amaze you. This is the Greek word aristos. If you're taking notes, you spell it A-R-R-O-U-S-T-O-S, aristos. The word aristos describes a person so infirmed that they have lost their strength. In fact, they are homebound. They are bedfast. And in fact, this word aristos would even describe the comatose, the comatose. Jesus healed that category of sickness, and he's still healing that category of sickness today. Now, here's why I believe this will be amazing to you. When you come to the Gospel of Mark, the Bible tells us in Jesus' own hometown, he could do no mighty works. How many of you remember that verse? Save, he healed a few Sick folks. That word sick in that verse is the word aristos. It literally means Jesus healed a few comatose folks. And what you find is there was such unbelief in his own hometown, he couldn't find conscious people to agree with him when he tried to heal, so he turned his attention to the comatose, and he released his power on them. Is that remarkable? That's a very different understanding of that verse. It is the same word which is used in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus said, believers will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. It's not people that have high blood pressure or a headache. It's the word aristos, those that have completely lost strength. They're in an unconscious state. They will lay hands on the comatose, and even the comatose will recover, demonstrating really how great is our authority in Jesus Christ. So you have these five words, and these are the five primary categories of sickness which Jesus healed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them fit right up inside this word infirmities in Romans 8, verse 26. So let's cover them again. Number one, nosos. Everybody say nosos. I'm teaching you a little Greek tonight. A terminal condition for which there's no natural cure. Number two, malachion. Everybody say malachion. Someone that is debilitated, they are crippled, they can live, but they can't normally function. Number three, the word kakos. Everybody say kakos. Those that are mentally confused. The word mastigas. Everybody say mastigas. Some kind of an affliction that keeps beating and striking and beating and striking over and over and over again. And last of all, aristos. Everybody say aristos someone that is comatose. All of those words fit inside this word infirmities. Now, the truth is, if I said amen and we went home tonight, you've already learned something very important from the Bible. But when you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it is not talking about physical problems. It's talking about spiritual problems. Well, if it's talking about spiritual problems, then why did I go through all of these physical words? Because all of these physical words literally fit inside this word infirmities, the Greek word asthenios, which means if we do not have the help of the Holy Spirit, we are all a terminal case. If we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, we are spiritual invalids. Though we're saved, we're very crippled if we don't have the help 
of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, we are kakos, we are confused, we don't know what to do. If we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, things in life just keep beating us and beating us and beating us and beating us. And if we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, we are aristos, spiritually. We're nearly comatose. And in fact, we're so comatose without the help of the Holy Spirit that the verse goes on to say, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. The Greek literally says we do not have the know-how. And to really amplify how ignorant we are without the Spirit's help, it says we know not what. I asked you to circle the word what. In Greek, it is the word T. The word T is very small. It describes the most minute, minuscule detail. It's almost as though Paul says, forget the big stuff. If you don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, you don't know how to even correctly pray about the most minute details in your life. Without the Spirit's help, we're a terminal case, spiritually crippled, confused. We keep getting beat again and again and again. We're comatose. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do if we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a young man, I really wanted to be used by the Lord. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And because I grew up in Tulsa, it afforded me the opportunity to attend a lot of meetings with famous preachers. I used to regularly go to Kenneth Hagin meetings. In fact, I was radically healed in a Kenneth Hagin meeting in 1974. It changed my life. I attended a class with Oral Roberts every week. He was my teacher. I went to meetings with T.L. Osborne, and I loved to go to Catherine Kuhlman meetings. I just loved to go to her meetings and watch this woman as she stood on the stage, and she would literally interface with the Spirit of God. It was like watching a divine spectacle. And when I would watch those people, I would say, God, you're not a respecter of persons. If you'll work with them, you'll work with me. And I said to myself, if I was God, who would I give my power and my anointing to? And I concluded, if I was God, I would give my power to somebody who really loved my word. So I determined I was going to memorize the New Testament. And that's when I discovered I had a photographic memory. In a very short period of time, I memorized the entire New Testament, except for the book of Acts, which I didn't feel really mattered, and the book of Revelation, because I figured nobody understood it. <laughs> but other than those, I literally memorized the entire New Testament. I thought, if I could just get the word in me, the power will come. I was like the walking Bible, the Word of God just pouring out of my mouth. But the power never showed up like I expected. So I went back to the drawing board and said, if I was God, who would I give my power to? Ah, I would give my power to someone who really prayed and fasted. So I decided I was going to fast. One year, this is the truth, I fasted 40 days three times with smaller fasts in between the 40-day fast. The only thing I drank was coffee. Let me tell you, when you fast that much and drink a lot of coffee, you can get some wild revelations. <laughs> but the power never came. Now, I was the walking emaciated Bible. But the power never came. And that's when the Lord first led me to this verse. And I had read this verse so wrongly. I thought I had to somehow prove how pious I was for God to give a greater anointing to me. That somehow if I would say enough of the word and memorize the word and fast enough by my pious behavior, I would twist the arm of God and obligate God to operate mightily through but God doesn't do anything by works. God does everything by grace. I thought I had to qualify. I had to perfect myself. And that's when I read this verse. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our what? Infirmities. 
which means our infirmities do not eliminate us. Our infirmities qualify us. They qualify us for the help which the Holy Spirit gives. He comes with help because we need help. And this is so liberating. If you feel that you have deficiencies or infirmities, they qualify you for everything that is in this verse. And what does the Holy Spirit have to give us? The verse says, the Spirit what? Helps. Everybody say helps. Helps our infirmities. He helps us because of our terminal condition. He helps us because of our invalid state. He helps us because we're confused. He helps us when our problems beat us and beat us and beat us. He helps us when we're comatose. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. The Spirit helps us. Well, in English, the word help is just four letters, H-E-L-P. But when you read this in Greek, it is one of the longest words in the Greek New Testament. It is the Greek word, sun antilambenetai. That is one word. It's a compound of three words all put together. And it is the only time this word is ever used in the New Testament. And as far as we know, chronologically, it is the first time this word is ever used. We can't find it anywhere else before this. Which means when the Holy Spirit came to this verse and he was going to describe his help for me and his help for you, even though the Greek language was so rich, he could not find a word sufficient to describe what he was going to offer us. So the Holy Spirit just made up his own word to describe help. He said, I'll take this word, I'll take this word, I'll take this word. He took three words, jammed them together, and made up his own word, which in English is H-E-L-P, help, but in Greek it is sunantilambanetai. From the word soon, the word soon, write this down, S-U-N, means to do something in partnership with someone else. To do something in partnership with someone else. This is joint activity. This is cooperation. It's not what you do by yourself. It is what you do in partnership with someone else. The second word is the word anti. You know the word anti? What does the word anti mean? It means against. But it is not just being physically against. It is being enraged. It is having the attitude of being opposed to something. It's a very volatile word as used in this context. Then you come to the third word. Lambanetai is from the Greek word lambano. The word lambano means I take or I receive. I take or I receive. I say the word lambano means this. Say that a woman is walking through a park and suddenly a thief comes up and says, give me your purse. She says, no, I'm not going to give you my purse. This is my purse. He says, if you're not going to give it to me, then I will take it from you. It means to violently seize or to take. The first word soon, soon, describes the partnership of the Holy Spirit. The second word, anti, describes the attitude of the Holy Spirit. And the third word, lambano, describes the desire of the Holy Spirit. So you have the partnership, the attitude, and the desire of the Holy Spirit. Now let me demonstrate how this word works. Let's say that a believer has woken up, and during the middle of the night, some kind of major assault has been waged against his life. Some huge boulder has just dropped in his life. It's blocking his life. He doesn't know what to do with this massive problem. But he says, I know what to do. I'm going to deal with this. So he musters together all his information. He goes through that card catalog in his mind, every series he's ever heard in the past, seven steps to removing blockades and boulders, how to bind, how to release. He goes through everything that he knows, and he gathers together all his information, and he commands that thing to move. And it just sits there. It doesn't move. Have any of you ever had a problem like that? Sickness comes. He knows that sickness doesn't belong to him. He binds it. He casts it out. And the sickness just sits there and doesn't move. He binds. He looses. He calls the prayer chain. Now everybody's binding and loosening and fasting. The thing is still just sitting there. It's like this thing will not respond. And finally he says, ah, I forgot 
to say in the name of Jesus. Well, most Christians, forgive me, but they use the name Jesus like it is a lucky rabbit's foot. They don't even understand what it means or how to use it. They just use it like waving a magic wand. So he says, in the name of Jesus, move. And it just sits there. He thinks, oh, my lands, there's something wrong with the name of Jesus. Nothing works. Binding doesn't work. Loosing doesn't work. The name doesn't work. Fasting doesn't work. Praying together doesn't work. Nothing is working. He sits down. And as a last resort, he says, Holy Spirit, is there anything you can do? To help. Well, what does the verse say? The Spirit also helps us when we feel like we're in a terminal situation. He helps us. When this thing doesn't move, it keeps beating us. Helps us when we're confused. Helps us when we feel comatose. Everything we're trying to do, it's not working. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. That's when the Spirit comes to help. And the word help, soon antilambanetai, soon which describes partnership, means immediately the Holy Spirit moves in partnership with us, which means we're no longer dealing with the issue alone, but now it is me and the Holy Spirit together. I am working jointly with the Spirit of God about this problem. The attitude of the Holy Spirit is anti. He is enraged that the enemy would try to do this in my life or in your life. He is enraged about it. And the desire of the Holy Spirit is to reach out and take hold of that thing and seize it and remove it from my life forever. That is the word help now used in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, which means the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit will never happen independent of you. The word soon means partnership, joint cooperation. It happens in partnership with you. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to partner with you, the Holy Spirit will join himself to you in your dilemma. The Holy Spirit's attitude against that attack is anti. He is enraged. And the Holy Spirit wants to work with you and through you as a partner to reach out and grab hold of that thing, seize it, and permanently remove it. And that is what the Bible calls help. Now, to show you how utterly crippled we are without the Holy Spirit's partnership, I'll just give you some examples. You cannot effectively lead worship without the help of the Holy Spirit. Where's our worship leader? Where is he? Where is he? Am I telling the truth? Have you ever led worship without the Holy Spirit? The words are the same. The musical notes are played perfectly, but if you're not partnering with the Holy Spirit, it is dead. It goes nowhere. Have you ever tried to preach without the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Even though you're preaching the Word of God, it's dead. It goes nowhere. There are lots of things we can do with no partnership of the Holy Spirit. You can even pray without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Just pray by root, pray by memory, no divine activity, and it goes absolutely nowhere. But when suddenly the Holy Spirit connects himself to you, It elevates everything into a new realm, which we call the anointing. And this verse says, likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities. He comes because we're infirmed. He knows that we need help. For we know not what. Know not, in Greek means we do not have the know-how, what, the word T, even the most minute, minuscule detail. Now, usually in every crowd, there's someone who says, I don't claim this. I don't believe this. I always know how to pray. I pray according to the word. Well, that's good. Wonderful. Wonderful. I know God's will is healing. Knowing God's will is healing and getting every person healed is two totally different things. 
I may know that God's will is healing, but I don't know why every person is sick. One person may be sick because they have unforgiveness. Another person may be sick because it is a demonic attack. The Holy Spirit is the only one who sees what my eyes cannot see, and therefore he is the only one that really knows how to pray and how to address every single problem. He sees what we cannot see. And if you don't have him partnering with you, then at best, all you can pray is a general prayer, but you will never hit the target accurately because you can't see what only he can see. I learned this many years ago. When I was called in the middle of the night to pray for a woman who was dying of cancer, they said, please come, come to our home, come right now. It was about midnight. I got to the home. When I walked in the living room, the living room was filled with other pastors that they had already called. The room was filled with pastors. The woman had just been released from the hospital. They had sent her home because she was so loaded with cancer. She was not entirely sewed up. She was seeping in her stomach. And she was sitting in the chair in a nightgown, a room filled with pastors who were all praying general prayers of faith. And when I walked in the room, here it was after midnight, I said, Lord, why did you bring me here? These men are praying. They all know how to pray. And the Lord said, but if you'll listen to me and do what I say, something will happen that's not happening with these other men. I will heal this woman if you'll take my cue and do what I say. Well, I kind of liked that. And my pride got involved. I thought, wow. These other guys are not getting her healed. We're going to see really who has power in this room tonight. <laughs> and I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He said, go over to her, lay across her lap, and begin to pray in tongues. I said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> First of all, she was emaciated because of cancer. Secondly, she was seeping through that open wound. I didn't want it getting on my clothes. And third, I was embarrassed to do that in front of these other pastors. I said, Lord, I'm not going to do that. But it was one of those moments when the Holy Spirit, like a hound dog from heaven, just stays right on your trail. Are you going to obey me? 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 And that night I tried to buy time. I visited with every pastor in the room. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit kept saying, are you going to obey me? Are you going to obey me? And finally I said, yes, I'm going to obey you. How was I going to do this in front of those pastors? So I said, I'd like every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. No one looking. And I laid lightly across her abdomen, and the Holy Spirit said, begin to pray in tongues. And I began to pray loudly, loudly in tongues. Loud is not always stronger. I was trying to drown out what my mind was telling me because my mind was telling me those pastors are going to open their eyes. They're going to see my bottom sticking in their face and me laying on top of this woman. So I began to pray as loud as I could just to drown out my thoughts. But as I did, I felt literally a tangible presence leave me and enter into her. And I jumped up. And when I jumped up, she exclaimed, Oh, why did they do that to me? I thought I had hurt her. I said, what are you talking about? She said, why did he leave me? Why did they leave me? Why did this person do this to me? And rejection began pouring out of her heart. Come to find out when she was a girl, her father died. As a young girl, she perceived it as a rejection. Then her brother and sister got the flu. This was many years ago. They died. She perceived it as a rejection. Her mother remarried. He died. She perceived it as a rejection. 
And as a young girl, a spirit of rejection had entered into her life. And now the spirit of rejection had manifested in her body as cancer, and her body was literally rejecting her. Now, friends, I was not smart enough to figure that one out. All I could have done that night was pray in the name of Jesus, pray a general prayer, but the Holy Spirit saw the real problem was not cancer. It was a spirit that was in operation. And that night, that cancer was dealt with because the spiritual problem was dealt with. The Holy Spirit saw what my eyes could not see. And I'm telling you this story so you'll understand why you have to partner with the Holy Spirit. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to be able to pray general prayers. We need to have good, basic Bible information. But we are crippled without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. That woman was healed that night. She never had a cancer problem. It was a spirit of rejection. The Holy Spirit knew that. The Holy Spirit sees. Some people say they are prayer experts. The truth is there's only one prayer expert. To be a prayer expert, you have to see what no one else can see. To pray proficiently for someone, you have to know what is in their heart. Think how ignorant you sound when you pray sometimes. You sound like a schizophrenic. One time you pray one thing, the next time you pray something else, you say, God, please save this person. The next time you say, God, maybe they're saved. I'm not sure. Maybe they're saved. The next time you pray, God, no, I don't think they are saved. What's wrong with you? You don't know what's in their heart, but the Holy Spirit does know what is in their heart. He's the only one that knows, and he's the only one that knows how to pray. So he's looking for a willing participant someone soon that he can connect himself to release and vent his anger through and grab hold of that thing and remove it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what, oh, listen to this, we know not what we should pray for as we what? Ought. <laughs> the word ought is the Greek word day, D-E-I. It describes an obligation or a necessity which means you could translate it, we do not know to how to pray as every new problem demands. Indicating there's no such thing as a general prayer to pray for every two problems. Every prayer is new. Every problem has unique specifications. It requires a brand new, accurate kind of praying. We do not know how to pray as every new situation necessitates. Only the Holy Spirit knows how to do that. But the Spirit himself, look at this. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Wait, wait, wait. I thought intercession is what we did. I thought intercession is what we do. But this verse says the Spirit makes intercession for us. What does the word intercession mean? Hmm. Write this down. The word intercession literally means to fall into a ditch with someone else. To fall into a ditch with someone else. First thing that tells us is the only way you're going to experience this is if you acknowledge you're in a ditch. You have to be in a ditch to experience what this verse is talking about. Not just to fall in, but the word intercession means to fall into a ditch and to meet someone, to meet someone in a common situation. To meet someone in a common situation. Number three, to share emotions and frustrations, to share emotions and frustrations. Are you guys getting something out of this tonight? Then what is intercession? It says the Spirit's the one making intercession. Isn't that what it says? The Spirit makes intercession for us. Well, the first part of the verse already told us we have infirmities, which means we're in a ditch all the time. If you recognize it or not, you're in a ditch. 
You need help. Which means you're in a position to qualify for this help all the time. And when you finally come to the end of yourself and say, Holy Spirit, help me. The Spirit of God says, here I come. And he falls in with us. Comes right alongside of us. Meets us in our situation. And begins to share emotions and frustrations. Well, what is the emotion of the Holy Spirit? We already saw his emotion is anti. The Holy Spirit is enraged. He is enraged. Now he comes right alongside of you, and he begins to impart to you his divine rage. Now, in most cases, People try to deal with their problem by themselves for a long, 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 long time. They get discouraged. They truly are in the bottom of a ditch. They sit down in the bottom of the ditch. <laughs> they begin to throw a pity party, begin to feel sorry for themselves, just know how I'm ever going to get out of this. And finally, at the last moment, they say, Holy Spirit, can you please help me? He says, thank you for the invitation. Here I come. He falls in with us. And guess what he has that we need? He has fire. We need his fire. He has rage. We need his rage. He comes right alongside of us and begins to share his emotions with us. And last, the word intercession is translated many places in the New Testament as the word supplication. When it is translated as the word supplication, it is a word of rescue, which means I'm going to get you out of this mess. I'm going to get you out of this mess. So he doesn't just fall in to roll around in the moaning, groaning moment with us. He has fallen in with us to grab hold of us and supplicate and begin to pull us up out of that place. Oh, it's so powerful. And the Bible says he falls in with us. He makes intercession for us with what? Groanings which cannot be uttered. The word groanings could refer to praying in tongues. Good. I believe it does. But it's even bigger than that. It's bigger than that. This word groanings is the Greek word stenegmas. Stenegmas. The word stenegmas means to vent, to vent, to aspirate, to release steam, it is the very word we would use to describe the tea kettle on your stove. Stenegmas. If you turn up the fire, what happens to the tea kettle? The pressure, the temperature, it all begins to change and begins to build and 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 build until finally the teapot whistles or it blows its top. Stenegmas, this word groans. And what we find is the Holy Spirit falls in alongside of us. He begins to turn up the fire which we need. We need his fire. The fire begins to change our environment. It begins to change the temperature inside of us until finally we're no longer content to sit there on the couch feeling sorry for ourselves. We find ourselves even physically moving in the act of prayer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You begin marching back and forth in the living room. Something's happening. Your body is beginning to respond. Now somebody may say, well, you know, I asked the Holy Spirit for help. How come this didn't quickly take place with me? Well, even a teapot. How quickly it responds depends on how cold the water is when you start. If the water's cold, it's going to take the fire longer to have effect. And likewise, if you sit there in yourself feeling sorry for yourself and you become stone cold, the Holy Spirit will fall in with you. It may take a little bit longer for you to respond, but if you will invite him, he'll begin to change things spiritually for you. He'll begin to put a fire under you that moves you to action. It really moves you 
into the realm of the anointing. The realm that changes everything. And when you put all of this together, this is what Romans 8 verse 26 calls help. This is help. Saying you need help, it throws open the door for the Holy Spirit to bring what he needs. It's the magic word that brings divine participation. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's one of the most powerful words you'll ever say in your life. And the Holy Spirit comes soon as your partner joins himself to you. Anti enraged, giving you his fire. Lombano, reaching out through you, through your voice, through your mind, through you as a partner with you to grab whatever the devil has done, to seize it, and to remove it from you. Now, I just have to share one more thing. May I share one more verse? Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I feel tonight this would not be complete without this verse. Philippians chapter 1. Are you guys getting something brand new tonight? Wow, it's been 10 years since I've taught this. I've enjoyed it tonight. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 19. Oh, this is just such an illustration. When Paul writes the book of Philippians, he's in a Roman prison cell. He's forgotten. It looks like it is the end of the road. When you're put in a Roman prison cell, you're not even fed because you're not expected to ever leave a Roman prison. Paul's wondering if he's ever going to get out. That's why he says in this verse, what to choose, life or death. I feel closer to death than I feel to life. He is in a bad, bad place. And naturally speaking, he doesn't know how he's going to get out. And then Paul utters these words. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. The word salvation is really the word deliverance. It means this is not my end. I'm going to get out of this place. This is going to result in my deliverance. I'm going to get out of here. And why does he know it? For I know this will turn to my salvation, to my rescue, to my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Number one, he says, I know I'm going to get out of here because you are praying for me and your prayers count. They are effective. Never forget that your prayers are effective. But number two, Paul says, I'm going to get out of here because of the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Everybody say supply. The word supply is the Greek word epikoregias. Such a weird word, but so important. The word epikoregias is a compound of two words. The word epi means on behalf of. The word koregias is where we get the word choreography or choir. When you put the two words together, the word supply, epikoregias, means a gift, a generous gift given on behalf of a choir. Why would he use a word like this? We have to know where it came from to know why he's using it in this verse. And in ancient Greece, there was a huge choral theatrical presentation. They had trained. They had prepared. It was time for the show to go on the road. They were ready to perform when suddenly the director came and said, we have run out of funds. The show is over. The show is closed. There's no funds to perform. A wealthy man heard about this. This man was so moved by their training, by their preparation, by their dedication, and by their dilemma that the wealthy man came and as a mighty benefactor, he gave a financial gift. He gave a supply. And the gift he gave was so enormous that it re-energized them and empowered them and put the show back on the road again. And when Paul says, for I know this is not my end, 
I'm going to get out of this place. This is going to result in my deliverance and my salvation. Number one, because you guys are praying for me. And number two, because Jesus Christ is my great benefactor. And now it looks like the show has ended. It looks like the show is off the road. But Jesus is making for me a generous, fresh supply of the Holy Ghost that's going to put this show back on the road again. If you need a new infilling, Jesus is your benefactor. He wants to give you something that will put the show back on the road again. He wants to empower you to perform. The Holy Spirit wants to fall in with you. Everybody just say, help me, Holy Spirit. Just raise your arms and say, help me, Holy Spirit. Fall in with me, Holy Spirit. Refill me, Holy Spirit. Re-energize me. Empower me to perform in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I got blessed teaching the Bible tonight. It's so much better to teach it with the Holy Spirit than to teach it without the Holy Spirit. Do you see? We can't even understand without the Spirit's partnership. How many of you went to church for years and years and years and years and you couldn't perceive what was being said? The Holy Spirit's the only one that can even give you ears to hear. Unsaved people can't even get saved unless the Holy Spirit gives them eyes to see. Everything depends on the Holy Spirit. How many of you have tried to share Christ with somebody and they just didn't seem to understand the thing that you were saying? The Holy Spirit's got to give them eyes to see. You know why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. The word blind means to gouge the eyes out. They don't even have eyes to see what you're saying unless the Holy Spirit gives them the moment, the eyes to see. Everything we do, sharing Christ, preaching the word, leading worship, being a good husband, just being a good Christian, praying, it's totally futile unless we do it with him. Today, we have wonderful sound systems, beautiful auditoriums. By the way, your building is fabulous. We have all these marvelous things. The early church had no pulpit. They had no sound system. They had nothing, but they did have a partnership with the Holy Spirit and eruptions of power that were nonstop because they only had him. They only had him. And therefore, they partnered with him. That's what he wants to do with us. He wants to partner with us. He wants to partner with us. If you're here tonight and you've come a long distance, you're not here by mistake. The Holy Spirit wants you to hook up into a new partnership with him. If you regularly attend this church, but you feel like you've come to the end of yourself, he's got power to make you go back on the road again, to empower you to perform. It's not the end. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is where life takes over. And this is what? the Spirit of God is offering you today. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.